And that's just me being weird. How many neat freaks do I have in the house today? Any neat freaks? A couple of you. Like right now, literally, if I said, we're coming to your house for a barbecue, you wouldn't have any problem, right? Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you know you'd be leaving right now, getting out the car. I mean, getting out the parking lot in your car, hurrying up, throwing everything, throwing everything around. Come on. Open up your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. It's so good to have uh, Brother Juan in the house. Thank you for testifying. Can we give it up for Brother Juan and what he's endured at Nini's Deli on behalf of the Lord? God has blessed him. He is in a secret location, but he has come to be with us today. And all his haters can't get him because we're going to protect him in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1 as we talk today about possess the land or die. This is going to be one of those messages where I hope it's seared into your heart, into your conscience, and that you never forget it. Possess the land or die. We are at a time in our nation where the promises of God for his church have never seemed to be so far away. Doesn't it seem right now that all the promises of God are so far away for his church? I mean, just a few months ago, all the churches were excited and celebrating the prosperity of the land. We were seeing a great economic boost. Chicago seemed to be building again. Things were going great. And we thought that maybe God was going to use our prosperity to reach the world. You know, the more we have, the more we can give. But then we got slammed by COVID, and then the city turned to riots, and now we're still seeing some of those things happening now. And as a Christian, you're probably looking at the promises of God and wondering, can that even come true? Maybe at the beginning of year, you wrote down goals for your finances, and now because of everything that's going on, you don't see those promises being able to come to pass. Maybe your company is downsizing, downsizing instead of expanding. Or maybe you were having plans to, to buy a home or to do something, and now all of those things seem to be on the, on the ropes or more specifically to the church and to actual ministry in the building and outside of the building, you were thinking about maybe starting a life group or doing evangelism and all of these things, and now you're wondering if they're going to dox you on your job and find out who you are, and, and maybe if you put that Bible study in your neighborhood, that they're going to associate you with bigots and racists, etc. all lies, of course, but just that alone, the accusation intimidates you. I know for me as a pastor, I have goals. You, you see them on the, on the banners and what we preach here because the Bible says without vision, people perish. So I don't ever want you to come here and not have vision to why we're here. We're not trying to build a mega church that becomes a mega mess. We want to start a movement that saves the masses and brings the glory of God. Are you listening? I thank God for big churches. That's wonderful. But that, our goal is not just to build a big church. We want to build a movement across this city and the nation and across the nations of the world. But as I was saying before, like with your job and with your Bible study, are you being challenged now to even believe God that he can do this? Here we're believing for 50 campuses, and our one campus is under attack. Maybe you've been thinking about other things that I haven't named 
as promises. And all of us as Christians should have promises that we hold on to, and they should be dear to us. And you may be looking at those promises right now from the Lord, and they look the furthest they have ever been. Can I talk to you for a minute? Does anybody relate? Can I hear an amen? Is there anybody here today that feels like there is a promise from God that is in the distant future to the point where it's so far from you in the present that you wonder, is it even coming? Well, if you can put yourself into that position today, and I know that I can, I know that I can for my family, my, my, my church, and for the dreams and goals that I have. It seems like today, in July 2020, it seems further than it's ever seemed before. I can tell you that if you can put yourself in that place, and this message is for you. I don't often preach allegorical, and what that means is I don't often take passages from the Bible and then transform them into something where they weren't originally intended for example, into this scenario, we're going to learn about Moses and the people of Israel and the promised land. That is a literal land for a literal people at a literal time in history. And of course, great preachers use those things to talk about all the different things going on in our life. That's allegorical because it's not literal to the context. But I have to use this story today to give it to you as an example because we need to be encouraged literally here today by the faith and by the process others have gone through. Somebody say the faith and the process. So often, thank you, we know that we need faith, but we don't understand that we need to remain faithful in the process. Faith is not just a belief. Faith is also an action in being faithful. I have faith in my marriage that we can last till death do us part, but I need to be faithful to the marriage to death do us part. Does everybody see that? Having faith is like a mental or a spiritual belief, but being faithful is what you do with your actions and with your life and how you protrude or, or exude uh, the, the, onto the external world what you really believe. As the example that I give often in the church, there was a man with a unicycle. We don't see those often anymore, a unicycle. And he was doing his little tricks like evil Knievel. And one day he, he was out, you know, by the Grand Canyon. And he said, how about I ride my unicycle across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope? And you guys come out there and see me. And everybody was so excited. And they were shouting, yes, we would love to see you ride that unicycle across the Grand Canyon. And then when he got out there, he said, I got a surprise for you. I'm going to take it one step higher to another level. I'm going to ride this unicycle across this tightrope, but I'm going to do it with somebody on my shoulders. And everybody shouted, oh, that's going to be amazing. And then he says, how many want to see me do this? And they shouted. And then he said, who wants to get on my shoulders? And then all those shouting got really quiet. You see, they all had faith, right? They all had faith that this man was going to do it. They all had faith that it could be done. They believed. They could imagine it. I can imagine this happening. But when it came to them being faithful to get on his shoulders and ride across that tightrope, it became a whole different story. And so when we look to the Bible and we talk about the great people of faith. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11 and see a highlight reel of the people of faith. It's easy to forget the process that they were in and the faithfulness that they had to apply. Faithfulness is a part of your will. It's your choice. You have to determine whether to be faithful or not. 
When I'm talking to a husband or to a wife that's being unfaithful to their partner and they're wanting me in the pastoral counseling to give them a magic pill so they can be faithful, there is no such thing to give you a magic pill to be faithful to your spouse. It's a decision of the will. It doesn't come from a pill. And now today we have to make this decision. Are we going to be faithful to go into the promises of God? Because as we read this story, I want to make the applications as clear as I can, dance on as many toes as I can, make you feel as uncomfortable as you can. Because as a spiritual trainer, I want to provoke you to go to a place you've never been before. I don't want you to stay where you're at. And I want you to hear this message and then bring it right back to me with the same passion that I'm preaching it to you, that you would hold me accountable to the dreams and to the promises, and to the things that God has given me, and that I would not let up either. In other words, that we would make a covenant in this church right now to be accountable to each other to cross over into the promised land, to get out of our comfort zone, to get into the war zone, to step out of just complaining and get into the place where we fight and where we stand for truth and where we don't give up. And we now, listen to me, we now become the praying and wailers. We now become the men and women of God that they talk about a hundred years from now and say it's because grandma so-and-so, it's because grandpa so-and-so preached, prayed, and plugged away that there was an inheritance for me. That we look back on this time and we say, oh, I remember when Chicago was in an upheaval, but my church, by the power of God, was standing on the promises of God. And God was faithful. That group of people got blessed. The Lord provided. The gospel went forth. Homes were saved. Communities were changed. And we were never the same again. That's why we never want to criticize the glory, in other words, that we see on people's lives who came before us because we may not understand their story. I'm thankful for the Assemblies of God. I'm thankful for Moody Bible Institute. I'm thankful for the different people that have paved the way so that we can have these institutions, denominations, organizations that are for the things of God. But I wonder who's going to start the new YMCA that's truly about Christianity. You know, the YMCA is not just a cute song. It was by Christian businessmen during the Industrial Revolution that said we must provide housing and a place of discipleship for this community, so let's start it, and we'll call it Young Men's Christian Association. Who is going to start the new Salvation Army? The Salvation Army started by William and Catherine Booth in London as they saw poverty and as they saw the inequity of the poor, they started to reach out to them and they brought tent meetings to them and preached to them and were never ashamed to be a part of their lives as the world was looking down on them. They were embracing them and Salvation Army was truly a movement of soul winners. Are you ready to possess the land? Can I hear an amen? 
Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is now reciting what has happened. He's basically going to give you his play-by-play of everything that's happened into the lives of the Israelites. This is the Deutero, meaning another nonomy, nomos law. This is another reciting of the law. So in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and those uh, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus, I'm saying it out of order, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, thank you, Lord. i got to go back to Sunday school. Moses wrote all of that. He wasn't there for all the stuff in Genesis, but God used him to write all of that. But, you know, right around the end of Genesis, you get into the, the time of Moses and then the Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. Moses is there for all that. And now what he's going to do is he's going to recite and summarize it. He says, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. That is in the Arabah, opposite of Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Lebanon, Hezeroth, and Dizabah. Look at verse 2. He says, it takes 11 days to go from Harab to Kadesh Barna by Mount Seir Road. So he says, guys, I want to tell you this story. And the first thing that I want to let you know, it was only supposed to take 11 days to get to the promised land. Do you understand how Moses is starting this off with a rebuke? He's saying, hey, I'm going to explain this to you in summary. You've heard all of Exodus. You've heard all of Leviticus. You've heard all of Numbers. Now let me put it to you in my words here. It only was supposed to take 11 days from the time we got the Ten Commandments and knew what the plan was to get into the promised land. But how many know they were there a lot longer than 11 days? Verse 3, in the 40th year... On the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all the Lord had commanded him concerning them. On the what year? See, he's now saying, I'm going to tell you how we got here. I'm going to tell you how we got into this mess. So Moses is looking back on the situation, and he says, it was only supposed to take us 11 days, but I'm now writing Captain's Log, 40th year. What happened, Moses? What happened with the people of God that it went from an 11-day journey to a 40-year experience? And he begins to talk about how they defeated kings and all of these things after God brought them out of Egypt. And then in verse 6, the the Lord said, okay, okay. You've been here long enough at Mount Horeb where the Ten Commandments was given you. You've been here long enough. Now it's time to break camp. It's time to go. And now look at verse 8. God says, see, I have given you this land. Who is giving them the land? God. God is saying, see, I have given you this land. Go. Somebody say go. What are the words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 at the end of his life? What did he say? Go into all the world. Here God is speaking that go. He is telling the people, go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore. He would give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to their descendants after them. God is telling the people of Israel, it is time to go. You have been delivered from Egypt. In our understanding, it would be salvation. Egypt and deliverance thereof always represents salvation sanctification, being made separate. The mountain experience represents the empowerment of God, like how we would see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was fire, there was cloud, there was presence all over that mountain, and God was speaking to them. 
So here you see in the Exodus events, salvation, being saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And now they are commissioned to fulfill the mission of God. We know what Christians have been saved from. We've been saved from our sins. We've been saved from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, the presence of sin. By the blood of Jesus, we are in a new covenant. We have been sanctified. We are God's holy people. We are no longer sinners. We're saints. You can say amen at any time. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out that we might be filled with dynamite power to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth. We too can relate to the people of Israel in a salvation, sanctification, and Holy Ghost empowering events in our lives. And we now know what our great commission is. We now know what the mission is. It's to take the gospel to the whole world. Are you tracking with this preacher right now? Just like they were to go to the promised land, we are to go into all lands and make disciples of all nations. Praise God for a church that's doing it that's multicultural. That's what we're supposed to do. Now Moses in verse 9 tells them a little bit about his backstory. He said, I told you that I couldn't handle all of your problems, so I needed to raise up leaders for these leaders to help me. Would you keep scrolling with me past verse 11? Why is he telling us about the need of these leaders and these tribal judges? You know, sometimes people say, you shouldn't judge. You know, only God is the judge. My friend, there's a whole book called Judges. And those weren't angels judging, those were people judging. And that came from this time in the wilderness when God appointed judges and leaders from the tribe that were to be respected and that they were to be honored and they were to help Moses make the decision. How many know that after the day of Pentecost and the church was established, God said to appoint elders and deacons in the church that they would be, quote, unquote, the judges. They would be the people of wise, of wisdom and understanding and respect, and they would make the decisions for the people of God on behalf of God. How many believe in church order and church structure? How many believe it wasn't just at the, you know, just something that they were accidentally doing when they were appointing these deacons and appointing these elders to be pastors and apostles and prophets? These were purposed by the, this was purposed by the plan of God foreseen even in the time of Israel when they had judges and tribal leaders also known as elders. So God organizes the church. Are you tracking with me? You're saved. You're sanctified. You're filled with the Holy Ghost, but you still need a church. You still need elders. You still need wise people. It's not that they're your God. It's just they're helping you hear from God because we don't always know how to hear from God, do we? We don't always know how to make the right decisions. We might have ate too much pizza. We might have got tempted. We might fall. So we need godly people around us. Aren't we supposed to grow together in this community? Did he not say where two or three of you are gathered, there I am? And so that's what they had. They had their order now. They had their structure. In verse 15 and onwards, these people were the tribal leaders. They were wise and they were respected and they were anointed to have authority over the people. Would you slow down a little bit? Go into verse 16, please. When you see these leaders being appointed, they're there on behalf of God and they're not to be partial. They're to hear the issues. They're not to be afraid of anyone because their judgment belongs to God. And they said, uh, Moses said, if, the, if you guys run into a problem you can't handle, 
then bring it to me. How many believe even though there's a room full of leaders, there always needs to be a final leader to have the final voice? I still believe in that. Today, God has appointed me to be that voice. I hope you trust me as they trusted Moses. In the early church, they trusted Paul and Peter. But this was only supposed to be done in the congregation with the other elders. This doesn't mean Moses runs off and says, hey, let's use some of the gold from the temple to build me a mansion. It's just that you're trusting God to finalize it if there's a disagreement because someone is supposed to be there to be the final voice. And so that's what they did. And that's what they wanted to do. It seemed good, but keep going. What happened when the leadership missed God? Keep going, good sir. Now notice this. How many have heard of the spies going into the promised land? How many have heard that story before? Did you know whose idea it was? Was it God's idea or was it those leaders' idea? Whose idea was it? No, it was their idea. It was the leaders. Watch this. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we sent out from Horeb and we went towards the hill country and we started to wander and we got there. Then I said to you, we've reached this land. The Lord has given us. See, the Lord your God has given you this land. Moses is encouraging them. Look, we're here now, guys. It's time to take possession of it. The God of your ancestors told you, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. What happens in verse 22? Watch and learn. Then all of you, did some of them come or all of them come? No, then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we are to come to. Was that God's plan? No, God said it's already yours. Go! Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Do not be afraid. To be encouraged means to be infused with courage, to have your fear resolved, and to be able to go and do the courageous thing in front of you. And here, God is telling them, I got your back. It's time to march right in. The land is yours. You've been saved. You've been sanctified. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. You've been appointed as leaders to serve your leader. Now go and have what I have for you. Hey, receive it. Take it. Ah! They put on the brakes. And they say, well, <clears throat> Moses, since you've made us leaders, that must mean we also can hear from God and we can come up with ideas. We all were talking about this. When you were talking to God, we were talking to each other. Talking to our wives, talking to our husbands, and we decided it's best we just spy it first. We just dip our toes in it first. We got to have time, Moses, to process through this. This is going too fast for us. It feels too messy, Moses. It doesn't feel right to my comfortability and to my own way of thinking. Because I surely wouldn't do it this way. And if I wouldn't do it this way, Moses, I know God wouldn't do it this way. God would be wise like me and give us time to process and all to vote on whether or not this is really the promised land and whether or not really we're supposed to possess it. 
So Moses, being deceived by the people, goes, well, okay, that looks like a good idea. Let's go for it. Moses has no idea. His 11-day journey is about to turn to 40 years because of this wrong decision. He says, go ahead. I mean, I guess it sounds wise. Check it out. There's some wisdom in there. I mean, after all, we just don't want to blindly follow God, do we? we got to test him every now and then just to make sure he's on his P's and Q's. Go ahead. Go out there and process. Go out there and take a 40-day spiritual journey and figure it out. And they go there, verse 25, and they find the fruit of the land to be exactly as God said. It was flowing with milk and honey, and it was blessed. And it was what they needed and what they really wanted. But as you can see as we get into verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up. What happened? You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents, and you said, the Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. Who's, who's the one that's getting them to melt in fear? The spies that had went. Ten out of those spies, as we read in the other book, says that ten of them came back so fearful that when they went and spread it to all their friends and neighbors, they all became afraid because they weren't thinking anymore about the grapes. They weren't thinking anymore about the milk and the honey. They were thinking about the giants and the enemies in that land. So they say, where can we go? Our hearts melt with fear because our brothers made us afraid. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Stay right there on the blue scripture, please. How many know in the church right now, we're saved, we're sanctified, we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we have structure, we have leaders, but there are many leaders, not only in this church that have come and gone, but in other churches that are now wanting to process and put God to the test and say, God, if you were really God, you wouldn't let ninis get doxxed. And so I'm going to leave and I'm going to hold off on what I need to say on my job. And, and God, if you were really God, then you wouldn't do it like this. And I'm hearing about so-and-so down the block and over here. And I'm so afraid, God. I don't want to receive the promise. I don't want to have a life group. I don't want to start a Bible study on my job. I don't even want to preach anymore, God, because I'm so afraid. They're taller than me. They're bigger than me. And their walls of power reach to the sky. And there's even LGBTQ people there. See, what does it look like when a people refuse to do what God wants them to do? They refuse to take the land. They refuse to stand in faith, even though their knees are shaking and they got a stutter in their voice, but they refuse to stand in that moment and let God give them courage. What happens? They take a step back from the front lines and they think to themselves, what do they think to themselves? The God of Israel is still my God. After all, I'm not worshiping Molech. I'm not a non-Christian now, folks. I'm still a Christian after all. I'm just not called to stand in the front lines anymore. 
It's just, I don't want to go to that promised land. You know, that, that's an awful lot to believe for. There's an awful lot on there. And that's going to take a lot of sacrifice and hard work. I'm just going to back away from that. And my goal is just going to be us four and no more. And every now and then do a conference and listen to K-Love Radio. But I'm still a Christian. I'm still an Israelite. Verse 29, Moses then said to them, don't be terrified. He gives them another chance. He says, listen, I know you're scared. Look at me. I know you're scared. I'm feeling it with you, Moses is saying. I know you're scared. I know what you saw there. I understand. But we got to not be terrified right now. We shouldn't be afraid right now. The Lord our God is going before us. He will fight for us as he did in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness and how you saw the Lord your God carried you. Now watch this language right here. You saw how God carried you. I wish this was the second service and I had my baby right now, Lucas. He, he said you saw how God carried you as a father carries a son. You saw how we reached here. How many know if you see a father carrying a son, to get to that son, you would have to kill that father? How many know a father and a son's bond is strong? How many know if I had my son up here, every single one of you could try to take him out of my arms, but you couldn't? And how many know God is a good father? How many know God is a good father? Come on, do you trust God? You see, they were saying, it's, it's Moses I don't trust. Moses, I don't trust you because, you see, Moses, we don't like the way you're doing it. But Moses is literally sitting back with his hands raised going, I'm just the messenger. <laughs> this wasn't my idea. I didn't put myself here. If it was up to me, I would still be in Pharaoh's palace. I'm following a call. How many know, I'm not putting myself here as a martyr, but how many know there's pastors around this nation right now that are literally looking to their people going, I'm sorry if it's difficult for you. I'm sorry if your life is being overturned right now, but I'm not making this up. God wants us to open in COVID. God wants us to preach on the streets while our cities are falling apart. How many know there's pastors right now that are standing under the heat of the spotlight looking back at their people going, it's not me, it's God, but trust God because he's a good father that will carry us as he carries a son. I pray today for the California pastors who are now remaining open, defying their governor's orders. Pray for them as they are now at the tip of the spear as we once were. You watched what God did, he said to them. Go on down. But in spite of all of this, See, Moses is telling the summary in the what year? What year is he writing this? In the 40th year. He's telling the summary. But in spite of all of this, me encouraging you, me telling you to stand your ground, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you. And verse 34, then the Lord heard what you said, and he was angry. And he said, no one from this evil generation is now going to see the land. He said, you are going to die here. And the children, keep going down, please. The children that you feared for, 
that they were going to be hurt, the family you thought you were protecting, those little ones that you thought were going to be taken captive, they're going to be the ones to see the promise now. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies out of the ten that had a positive report, and they then became the only two out of that adult generation who had left Egypt that were able to walk onto the promised land and inherit the promise. I want you to think about how serious God is about promises. God is so serious about promises that he will flood the whole world and only save eight, the ones who want it. Do you remember Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three wives? That was only eight people, but they received a promise. The others were banging on the door, but it was too late. God is so serious about a promise and those who receive it that scholars estimate upwards of 750,000 to a million adults died over the next 40 years and only two from that generation went in. Do you think God's playing with us here in Chicago? A lot of times I talk to people and they say, well, it's a new covenant. God does things differently. I'm like, have you heard of Ananias and Sapphira? Dying in the New Testament church? Have you read the book of Revelation? And by the way, who do you think's talking to Moses here? Because if you believe in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it's the Word right there. Jesus has been talking to him the whole time. So this idea that somehow grace covers it. No, there was grace there too. The whole point is if we continue in our sin, Hebrews 10, 26 says, there is therefore no more sacrifice for our sins if we continue in them, but only a certain expectation of judgment. He said, you are now going to die, but your children and two of your peers will inherit the land. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I don't know about you. But I'm inheriting the promised land. Come on, tell somebody, I'm going. I don't know if you're going, but I'm going. Amen. It might just be two of us. It might be an empty bus, but I'm going. It might be an empty flight, but I'm going. Come on. I'm going to the promised land. Now watch. Watch some of the scariest words you'll ever read in the Bible. They now are sorry. They repent. And they say, oh, come on. We messed up. Give us a shot. Keep going down, please, to the next part where it's bold. You came back, verse 45, and you wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. How many believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Oh, you wanted to say that when you read the book of Psalms and saw a promise that he made. But now when he speaks a curse, you don't want to believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that tell me? There comes a point where God says, my judgment is final. This is it. Now imagine you're those Jewish people. You've come and repented and said, give me another chance. I want to be in this. I want to go to the promised land. And God says, no, you've missed it. Do you still serve him for the next 40 years until you die? You better. You better. Because you serving God is not like you making a trade. 
God, I serve you only if I get all of my promises. If there are promises, see, this is where I leave some of those TV preachers behind, and I got to be biblical. Are you listening? There are some promises you will lose in this life if you do not use them the right way. There will be some prayers you pray that God will not hear because the judgment has already been decided. That does not mean you cannot be forgiven. That does not mean you, cannot, uh, you can't go to heaven anymore. No, it just means this is over for you. I remember when I was dating a young lady and God had told me, that is your wife. I believed it. I do not believe I miss God. I still to this day believe that was my wife. This will mess with some of your theology about the one, but listen to me. God told me that was my wife. We were dating for about six months. She cheated on me, and God says, that is no longer your wife. (laughs) She would never get the opportunity to be with the man of God at the level that I was at for her. Whatever she got next was not the best, and I am sorry to say that. But I got an upgrade. Hallelujah. I got an upgrade. The Lord gave me double for my trouble. And like I said, that my mess with you, how things change, isn't God all-knowing? Doesn't he have it all worked out? Yes, but in the all-knowingness of God, he has our mess-ups and his judgments. And will they ultimately work for our good? Will it work for that young lady's good if she truly serves God, learns from her mistake, takes on whatever family she's in now, and lives for the Lord according to his will? Yes, she will have learned a mighty lesson from that. It will be good for her, but it will not be the original. And I think so often we always say, I'm just going to fall back on grace. I'm just going to, you know, if I mess this up, I'm just going to come back and repent. I'm just going to say I'm sorry. And there are some things that God says, yes, you can say you're sorry, you will be forgiven, but you will miss the promise. Leonard Ravenhill used to say it like this, that, that in our opportunities of a lifetime, they must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. There are expiration dates on opportunities. You'll never be this age again. And there are promises that God wants you to accomplish at this age. There are situations that you are in, and God wants to develop a foundation so that you can receive a promise at this next level. You may not see why this character, this characteristic matters right now, but God sees that it's going to matter. But you got to pass this test to get that blessing. Are you tracking with me? And if you don't get this characteristic in your life, that blessing's going to blow you by, and you're going to wonder why it was just a promise written in a journal. Just quiet when I preach like that. Because God said, when you were 25, I was building a characteristic in you so I could bless you with this thing at 35, but you never wanted it. And now that thing just blows right by you. And you're just wondering, looking at that journal, why did this pass me by? Now, lest we become hopeless and think all of our promises are going to pass us by, you need to remember the lesson of this story. Because I don't want to see myself as the ten spies who missed it. I don't want to be like the Israelites who walked in fear. The Bible says their stories were written for our good, for our encouragement. You need today to be honest with God and look within your heart and say, Lord, how do I become a Joshua? How do I become a Caleb, God? How do I receive what you have for me? Even if I have to wait for it 40 years, how do I see the promise that you promised. 
See, that's why I can be honest with you. Through all of the ups and downs I've been through in my life and through ministry and through different things, people coming and going, finances up and down, I can tell you that God has always told me, stick with me, I got your back, and he has never let me down once. Has anybody had a God do that for them yet? Has anybody tested and seen that God is good, that when you were obedient, when you were faithful, he made you fruitful, and he is asking us today, do you want to possess the land? Or do you want to be dismayed by the fear and by the people around you, even if they were the ones you looked to at one point as leaders? The first pastor that I got to know intimately in Fort Wayne, Indiana, ended up cheating on his wife with the secretary. I was a brand new Christian. And every time I went out with them, the woman, the secretary was there. And I didn't know any better. Guys hang out with girls in my world. I guess they do it in the church world. And then it came to find out they were having an affair while still pastoring the church. Another great pastor that I looked up to while I was in, uh, in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, just within a few months, there was two main ones. This was the other one. He would let me spend the night at his house. He would counsel me and encourage me. Became severely depressed, divorced his wife threw away his ministry, closed the church. Within just about six months of being a Christian, as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old new believer, the two main pastors, middle-aged, 40, 50 years old, the two main people that I looked up to both crashed and burned right in front of me. Here I am fighting for my joy to be free off of drugs, not needing to get high, having a sound mind, not be depressed. And the pastor I'm looking up to goes into so much depression, he crashes his ministry and he gives up his marriage. Here I am fighting sexual perversion, trying not to go back to the life of perversion. And the pastor that I looked up to prayed all night with how I met him was he had all-night prayer meetings, and I couldn't fall asleep because I was so used to getting high and partying that after I delivered pizzas to one in the morning, I didn't know what to do with myself. So somebody said, there's a prayer meeting that goes all night on Fridays and Saturdays. That's how I met this man. That man cheated on his wife, threw away his marriage. How do I make it if he can't make it? That was a question I asked myself all the time. Lord, if these soldiers who have been serving you for 20 years, 30 years, they had grown kids, they, they were leaders in the church, educated. If they can't make it, how in the world am I going to make it? And I want you to listen to me. This is where God taught me this principle. He said, I am always with the faithful. He said, I'll never leave you. He said, I'll never forsake you. And I began to get that in my heart. And I'm, I'm not saying I don't care about people. I do. I hurt when people backslide. I hurt for those people. I hurt for their kids. I hurt for one of my friends that even preached at this pulpit. And he picked me up with a woman in the car. And I already knew the sign. So I started talking to him. I said, why is this woman in your car while you're picking me up? She was an intern. Eventually it came to find out he got her pregnant, got a divorce, and now he's single. Are you listening to me? He has five kids. But listen, I heard the Lord tell me in those early years I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so here's what I got in my heart, and you just got to hear it today. I'm going to the promised land even if nobody goes with me. It's not personal if I got to leave you behind. It's just because me and my God got to go to that promised land. It's not personal. Listen to me. It's not personal, baby. It's just based on promise. 
I remember when I first got saved, I had this best friend of mine. I could tell you his name right now, draw out his characteristics and spend all day talking about how much I love this guy. He was my bud. He was my buddy. He was my best bud, my best bud. We hung out all the time. We would go out and give out food to the poor and to the inner city in our town. And one day he said to me, he said, Joe, the other people from the youth group, you know, they want to come and do what we're doing, but they don't like the way you do it. And I said, what do you mean, man? I had just gotten saved off drugs, and I remember my church used to give away stuff. So I started taking money that I was getting from, you know, uh, delivering pizzas and went to the food bank and just started imitating this. There was nobody even doing it. I just started doing it, and then the pastor gave me permission. I was like, cool, I'll keep doing it. And then as they came, they would come, and then I would just preach to them, to to the youth. And then I would say, now let's go preach to them. And I said, what do you mean they don't like what I do? They said, man. They just want to give out the groceries. You start talking to them about pornography before you go out and preach to the people out there. They don't want to hear that, Joe. Joe, you're, you're getting in their business talking about sleeping with boyfriends and girlfriends. You know, they just want to do a Brad Pitt. Here, let me just drop off some stuff and take a picture and leave. You're wanting to preach to the, the people who are supposed to be doing the charity. They just want to do charity. And I looked at him and I said, bro, I said, man, if we're not right, how can we go out and preach and do these things in Jesus' name? I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't getting paid. But I understood that if my integrity was not right, what good is all of that charity? And I'll never forget. Every, every person look up at me. I'll never forget because I know what it's like to be some of you who lose your friends and people who you've done life with. Listen to me. Tears started coming down his eyes. Tears started coming down his eyes, and he looked at me, and he goes, well, then who are your friends going to be? I'm telling you, man. Breaks my heart even thinking about it. And I looked at him, and I said, I said, bro, I've already given up all my friends. See, he was a church kid. He was always trying to walk that line. I said, bro, I already gave up all of my friends. I said, if they want to leave me now, too. I said, that's all right. I said, and I'm telling you, I told him this. I said, Jesus is our friend, man. Jesus is with us. Aren't you glad a pastor and trainee made those decisions when he was 19 years old so that when things like this would happen, there would be a backbone, there would be an experience in my life so I wouldn't be afraid of a mayor when she puts us on blast about losing her favor and her free garbage pickup. Don't, don't, don't make the alderman mad or you won't get free garbage pickup. You see, so I'm going to ask you right now, what things is God building in your character for the thing that's ahead of you that you don't even know you need that character for yet? And God is saying, trust me, you're going to need this then. Take these steps now. There is a promised land to possess. If you believe it, can you stand up and give it up for Jesus? Amen. Vinny and the band, would you come, please? Thank you today, saints. How many believe there's promises for you and I to receive today? How many know they're not dependent upon other people, but dependent upon you and God? Most most of us in this church that I know don't have godly grandparents. We didn't come from that long line of Christianity. My parents were the first ones in their generation, but my parents are old enough now to be your grandparents. Most of us are under 35 in here, many millennials. Can I just encourage you with what my parents have said as 70-plus-year-old folks retired in Florida right now? 
all of their friends from high school just a Facebook picture now. All of their business associates, all the people they wheeled and dealed with, don't even talk to. All they see now every day, listen to me, outside of their church, but just in a, just in a practical way, listen, all they see now are the other people in the retirement village waiting to die. Your life is going to come to an end one day. And all of these friends we tried to impress, they're not going to be there. And all the mayors we were afraid of or all the bosses we were like, whoa, I don't want that boss to say this about, they're all going to be gone. And all your strength is going to leave you. And you're going to be sitting down one day. If you get to live this long track with me, you and I will be sitting down one day and we'll be looking over our life. What do you want to have as your life story at that time? Do you want to look across to your wife or to your your kids and go, well, we wandered around a lot. Yeah, God was good. We went to church every day for 40 years or every Sabbath. We... We saw some miracles every now and then. There was some quail. I saw that. And there were some great worship times we experienced. And every now and then Moses and the judges would hold a conference on the law. And every now and then we would do something kind of different. But, yeah, we never saw that promise, did we, honey? Son, daughter, sorry. You never got to see it. Or do you want to be like Joshua and Caleb and say, son, daughter, you see this land right here? This was promised to me a long time ago. And all my friends had the same promise, but they didn't want it. And I had to wait for it, son. I had to wait to stand right here. And it may not look like much, but this is our promised land right here. And this is a a generational blessing. And when I pass, it's going to be yours. And you're going to pass it on to the next one, to the next one. And if you remember anything, son or daughter, I want you to remember mama. Daddy was a man, a woman of God who held on to the promises of God. Who believed even when it was scary. We believed. And we saw God, oh, oh, son, oh, daughter. I can't tell you what it was like that day. We saw the promised land for the first time. I can't wait to show Titus these churches. I can't wait to show Titus your life and your marriage. Congratulations. They're getting married today. God bless you, young lovers. I can't wait to point out the businesses that were started when they shouldn't have been started. I can't wait to point out to my sons and my daughters your lives and your testimonies when we make it to that promised land. Altar workers, would you come please now? As we get ready to close out, would you bow your head in prayer? If you have not received the greatest promise of salvation, would you ask Jesus into your heart right now? Confess your sins and confess Jesus as Lord. 
And if you need prayer with that or help with that, in just a few moments, you can come forward because the greatest part of this story is people meeting Jesus. And if today is your day, we want you to have prayer workers to pray with you. Or if you don't feel sanctified, you still feel like you got some sin in your life. You might be a Christian, but you need some junk out the trunk. Would you pray right now for the Lord to forgive you? Confess it. And then if you need help with that, come on up here. And then if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, or you have, haven't gone to a church like this before, then come up and maybe have a conversation first with one of these altar workers. Or set up a time and date this week to meet up. We've written and taught about it extensively. Or if you've got enough faith, just raise up your hands and say, Fill me, Jesus, with languages of heaven. And if you need help with that, in a few moments, you can come to these altar workers. So if you need to be saved, pray right now, Lord, save me. If you need to be sanctified, say, Lord, forgive me of any sins that I've committed as a Christian. If you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, would you ask God to fill you right now with power from on high? few moments, few moments. We're going to pray through all of this together today. We're going to apply this message today. If you believe this is your church, and you're good, you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, but this is your church. Would you pray for the leadership, the elders, the judges, the tribal leaders, the life group leaders, that this church will be a church of honor and integrity and that we will replicate ourselves here. We will multiply. Would you pray for your heart to have a willing spirit that if we disagree, it's okay, but we don't divide, we don't rebel. We serve one another. We work through our issues. Come on, we got to lay that foundation before we get to the promises. A few more moments praying through this message. Are you saved? Are you sanctified? Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Have you determined to be in good, a, a good community of leaders? If you have right now, would you raise up your hands before we close out and let people come forward? Would you just raise up your hands and say, Lord, I want to receive your promises. We'll dismiss in just a moment, but I even need my altar workers to pray through this. Come on, if you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, if you know you are in good leadership, in a good company, good fellowship, then right now ask the Lord to start giving you promises. Some of you, if you can't wait, you can come up now for prayer if you need to. But we'll dismiss and let you pray as long as you want in just a moment. But I want to make sure everybody, everybody gets a chance to call out to God for his promises. Every one of these altar workers, everyone in the band, everyone in this church, receive from God what he has promised. Yes, we may re be persecuted. Yes, we may suffer loss. But God has a plan. God is going to use it. As we get ready to close out, the worship band's going to sing. Those who want help with prayer or any issue in their life can come forward if you haven't already. Father, thank you for bringing us here. May we possess the promises you have for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord as you say amen? amen.